0: In this episode of the About Death podcast, we do talk about some adult themes. If you've little ones around, grab your headphones now. And a reminder that these conversations are all real and can sometimes be a bit raw. Remember, you've always got the option to pause and to take a break for a bit. Our show notes contain links to more information about support that you can access.
1: If you can actually turn your death into your last act of giving then i think that's a really good thing to do and what by that i mean look at the people around you and just think what what do they need to thrive when i'm not here and and do they do they have those things am i giving them those things in the way that i'm living and um if not then make make some changes so that you are
0: Hello, you're listening to the About Death podcast, and I'm Sam Meikle. Talking about dying and death can make us feel uncomfortable, awkward, or embarrassed, as we're not always sure what to say and when. Through this podcast, you'll hear why and how people start talking about dying and death, and if they didn't, what they wish they might have said, and the impact this has had on their lives and on the lives of those they love. Around kitchen tables, in pubs and cafes, we're having conversations to help you explore how you think, feel and talk about death. My guest in this episode has really challenged how I think and feel about death, which is the whole point of this journey and podcast. In our conversation, Amir shares his perspective about how we might use our death as our last act of giving to others. And when he shared this with me, I initially felt it was really heavy. It felt weighty. There was a great sense of responsibility. But as our conversation unfolded, I understood it to ultimately be a selfless act. For work, Amir runs a video marketing agency. He's also a coach and an avid reader with loads of good book recommendations. Amir is turning 40 this year, and prompted by a health scare, he started thinking about his legacy for his four sons. Not a financial legacy, but rather a gift of how they can support themselves to live their best lives when Amir is gone. Welcome to Amir's story. And to start with, I wanted to ask where your accent is from?
1: Probably Nottingham. I imagine that's where I spent most of my time, so Nottingham or Nottingham <laughs> when I'm not thinking about enunciation
0: born and bred, yep growing up, what did you know about dying and death
1: Probably as much as any child, so that it happens, but not that much i wasn't um I didn't have any. Amazing epiphanies when I was, you know, a kid. That we had a cat that died. It was Edward, and that was the first com- probably encounter that I had with with death. Was, uh, you know, a cat that we loved dearly, and was that was very sad. Um. Um. But yeah, I, that was that was that was really my only experience of it. And I've, growing up, I was very mindful of the fact that, you know, until two thousand and I think sixteen. Um, I hadn't really experienced anyone close to be passing away. I was thirty-six then, and that's probably quite, quite old to um, to not have anyone like, pass away that's close to you. Um, which I think is both fortunate and, and unfortunate, depending on whichever way you, you 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 look at it.
0: Can I ask you, who was passed away?
1: It was my gran, and my gran. Um, she actually worked in in Nottingham, she was half French, but she worked in Nottingham as a lecturer uh, teaching French, and she was um, a really uh sharp, witty, you know super like supremely intelligent human being, and she had dementia, and I think it had her for like four years until she passed away. so it was very slow and painful to to watch someone so together. And so, uh, like you know, sharp, just fall apart like that. In that way, it was it was quite cruel to uh, to watch. And, and my mean my grand my granddad, are living in France, and they you know lived in France for probably a good fifteen twenty years, perhaps. So I d- I wasn't around her all the time, but when I went to visit, there'd be marked you know differences into how she was the, the way before, um, and my mum. Basically, gave up her life in the UK and moved away from her job, her family, her grandchildren to go and look after her parents. And she, you know, she saw that kind of day in day out. And then, obviously, her her husband, my my grandfather, um, who's like a proper English gent, um, you know, he they've been married for over sixty years, and um, it hit him, you know, it was just it, it was difficult every single day. For him, um but the way that they all coped was just you know a lesson in courage, basically, it was very, very inspiring.
0: How's your grandfather going he's all right
1: he's all right he doesn't complain um he's actually been in hospital recently to have his t- big tail amputated <laughs> because he's in a wheelchair and he doesn't move much, so the circulation's not great, and they told him. I'm afraid, Mister Stokes, that we're going to have to amputate your big toe on your left foot, and he just shrugged his shoulders and said, "I don't use it much anyway." <laughs> so he <laughs> he's quite <laughs> he's quite balanced when it comes to things like that. But yeah, he's um, he's good.
0: How did he cope, if that's the right word, or what was his perspective when your grandma died after um, the illness of dementia?
1: I go once a year to to France, and when I've, whenever I've seen them. He seemed good I only saw him cry once At the at the funeral And that was when we were all sat around The open coffin saying goodbye to him And he cried for two seconds And then he stopped himself and he apologised And that's just You know, he's in his mid-80s he, was, he grew up in a time where To be a man, you show a stiff upper lip So yeah, that was the only time That I saw him kind of express Any real Grief Around it, my mum obviously spent much more time with him, and she may know. But I know, I know he misses her. Um, I know he his love for her kind of continues. Um, he's still very, very proud of the person you know that, that that she was when she lived. Yeah, all in all, I think he's doing pretty well.
0: Did you talk about it?
1: Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. We talked about it, especially. um mum you know didn't always have people to talk to about how she was feeling over there so we would talk sometimes about what it was like um and what she was going through yeah
0: did you talk to your sons about it before she passed away
1: yeah so ezra he's only three so he didn't really he's actually i think he might have met her uh but he hasn't spent too much time around her but Ebsy, who's gonna be eight soon, he's spent time around uh he's spent time around Granny. You know, we explained that she was she was poorly and um he used to ask why she was doing, you know, certain things, uh why she was talking certain ways and whatnot. And we started to explain, you know, she's she's very, very poorly and then when she passed away, you know, we just referred back to the fact that remember how she was, you know, very poorly and kind of very old. Well, you know, this has this has happened now, and she's no longer with us.
0: How did he respond? Um,
1: he seemed sad, and he he gave me a hug, which I was actually t- talking to him about death this morning, um, only because someone on his uh, mum's side of the family passed away recently, um, and he's got a bit of a fear of death, which is normal because I think a lot of adults do and I think it's because we don't spend much time uh contemplating it and actually just getting to a point where we don't have to be happy about it but we accept and embrace it it's going to happen Uh, we don't have to like it but we'd need to accept it and I've been thinking about and contemplating you know my own death for a few months um and last summer i got quite poorly and um went to hospital with like, chest pains um and although my heart's okay the doctor said it was a um a warning a warning sign that i needed to you know just change a few things in in my life and then you know i'm turning 40 this year and i think probably both of those two things added together really just hit home the fact that one day i'm going to die <laughs> And I don't know when it's going to be. And I don't know how it's going to, to come. So I thought about it quite a bit. My brother is a music music therapist. And he deals with people and um, helps people that are you know kind of end of life. So I spoke, spoke to him. And he, he recommended me a book by a guy called Irvin D. Yalom. And it's called Staring at the Sun. And he called it that because... He says it's difficult for us to stare at the sun for a long time, and it's difficult for us to think about our own death for for a long time. And um, there are some, you know, pretty good ideas in in that book about dealing with uh, dying and and stuff. But the thing, the, the conclusion, the big kind of conclusion that I've arrived at for my own death is to really realise. And understand that it's it's easier to leave than it is to be left. So while we're going to die. We leave behind people that are going to carry on. And they're going to be carrying that grief. And we're not. <laughs> we're not going to be around to, to feel those things, right? So I think that if. It's a coping mechanism and also to to live life in a really full kind of like giving way if you can actually turn your death into your last act of giving then I think that's a really good thing to do and what by that I mean look at the people around you and just think what what do they need to thrive when I'm not here and and do they do they have those things am I giving them those things in the way that I'm living and um, if not then make make some changes so that you are because I think we always, I don't know, it's probably like a cliche to want to die at home, in a bed, with all your family around you so you can, you know, say goodbye to people and tell them what you think of them and tell them that you love them one last time. But the reality is it's not going to happen like that. So the antidote to that is living away so that if you went, You know in the next hour the people that you care at would already know that there wouldn't be any doubt whatsoever so you wouldn't need that kind of end for people to feel that way and I think that when you think about it like it's it's sort of a way to live then
0: I was really struck when you said it's easier to leave than be left Mm -hmm. can we explore that a little bit more
1: yeah well I think it's the same um, in a relationship say for example you're in a relationship and you you choose to to walk away you've sort of already come to terms with the fact that it's over um, you um, yeah you're, you're the one that's initiating initiating that so you, like you said you've come to terms with it um, and although it might still be painful the other person that you're kind of like leaving uh, could be left with a lot of uh, a lot more pain, a lot more questions, a lot more uncertainty around around that. Same in you know in death. Really, it, it 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 really it's really it's true. And although yes, we'll be going through something that is you know it's the ultimate fear. It, you know you can't you can't get around that. It really really is. But I think one way to um, to deal with with that uber powerful fear is to have the courage to be like super compassionate and actually put yourself second Um, because yeah okay you're dying but they're not (laughs) they're they're they're, going to keep going and they're going to keep going without you so while yeah you know our life comes to an end it comes to an end we don't feel anything anymore and we sort of reach the same state of existence as we did before we were born, right? We just don't, we don't exist anymore. I mean, that that's an abstract thing to get your head around anyway. But then we're not, we're not left with anything. We're not left with a sense of loss or grief. You know, what if we're the, the rock that they always depended on? What if we're the dad or the brother, you know, or the sister or the mum? We're leaving people behind that needed us. And it's, it's harder, yes it's hard for us, it's harder for them I think. Um, and I think to change the frame, to flip that frame and to, to, um, to give it, to put that onus on them I think is um, an ultimate act of like empathy, compassion and courage.
0: And the word that comes to mind is there's a responsibility in that for thinking through that process, having that awareness um and it feels a bit heavy to me as as I'm reflecting on this
1: Which bit feels heavy
0: the putting yourself second and if if you're if you have an awareness that the end is coming um so that kind of planning to put your fears aside, put your own preparations aside, in the sense of the greater good of those around you that you want to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a perspective I hadn't considered before.
1: Mm. Yeah, well, I think, I think there's some balance to be had because I think what I think is probably an easy thing to do is completely forget yourself and bury yourself and bury your emotions in other people you know so and that's that's just avoidance and that's not healthy so i think there has there does have to be a balance um but with a main focus on and maybe it's different for me because i'm i'm a dad you know i've got like two sons two stepsons um and maybe it's different for me because i'm thinking okay if if, if i were to go you know even when i'm like kind of old and ready <laughs> have i given them have i taught them have i pointed them in directions um that can help them to live the life that they that they want and it's not it's not a question of doing things for them but just knowing that as a dad that i've um i've done as much as as i could possibly do for them i think it's Embracing the fact that it's easier to leave than it is to be left and turning your death into your last act of giving, they're sort of like strategies. And then the nuts and bolts, the tactics are very much up to the individual to to figure out because we're all like, we've got different circumstances um, and different things and different people in our lives um so it may be something that doesn't involve children at all you, you know it could be it could be, it could be anything but i think as as a strategy um so far i mean that's the thing that makes most sense to me
0: mm. you said um dying when you're old and ready what does ready look like
1: i don't know actually i don't know if i ever want to be ready i'd rather go out kicking and screaming um because I always want to like maintain an element of like you know, childlike like quality. <laughs> I'm wearing Spider-Man shoes at the minute. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Just in the fact that um I always want to be curious about things, I always want to be silly and have fun uh, you know at the appropriate times. Um I never want to lose that and I don't want to fall victim to the mental model of like being old so I want to be able to do like jujitsu into my like 60s and stuff like that I want you know I want to I want to live I want to live like to the fullest and then whenever it happens um, go and I think if I actually if I'm sitting down on a sofa and if I ever tell myself or say I'm ready to die um, I'm not doing enough I'm not living right I've like lost purpose and um, I don't think that um, yeah I don't think that you need you need to lose lose that
0: I think you may have touched on elements of this. um, But I wondered what the phrase a good death means to you.
1: I think you can only have a good death if you had a good life. And a good life, I think, is to live with some purpose. Grow. And to um, perhaps inspire the people around you to be their best to push themselves to get the most out of life possible and then following that a good death is just accepting it with grace accepting the fact that you're going to die with grace and um understanding that it's a natural a natural part of things and that things have been dying for billions of years (laughs) and um but things, you know, but it, everything kind of carries on. It gives you sort of gives you a sense of perspective and place in the universe, um, and that actually it's okay that we're going to die because things will keep going, and people that we care about and love will keep growing. Um, so yeah, I think it, I think it's it's getting it's getting to that place and um, a sense of peace, I suppose, with it.
0: Have you always had this perspective? Has it changed? No?
1: It's, it's something that's literally been developed um, over the last few months because that's when I've actually really started thinking about it mm-hmm. um, with any great you know, depth or you know, I've journaled about it a few times. And so, yeah, it's something that, you know, and it may well keep evolving and changing or whatnot, but that's, that's where I am now. And it, it's, it, feels, it feels right because it's helping to inform my life now. You know, so yeah,
0: who are you talking to about these emerging thoughts and priorities?
1: Um, you <laughs> <laughs> I've not really talked to many people about it. I've not avoided the subject. It's just felt like something that has been evolving inside of me, so maybe I haven't felt that my ideas are you know crystallized enough to to have like a proper conversation about them um. So yeah, there's, I don't have you know, a death and dying conversation buddy, <laughs> um, but I'll be open for one.
0: <laughs> and I think um, for work that I've been doing in this area, it feels like there's, there's kind of several stages of articulating your own thoughts and beliefs and feelings and fears, and then sharing those, kind of talking to people, and then making kind of... a. the the medical authorities or making those decisions more formalized for kind of what you would like at the end and I've been reflecting on how you have those conversations with people because I think often we as individuals can be ready once we've articulated this to ourselves but it's choosing the right time to spring that conversation on someone Mm -hmm. and I know that I've done that poorly in the past whether it's I've called mum and said okay mum (laughs) <laughs> we need to talk about death and dying on the phone and for her it's a Tuesday morning she's just had breakfast and is thinking about her day ahead so it, it can be quite a challenge that even though we may be ready how we broach that conversation with others
1: Yeah, I think so um, perhaps a good a good way in perhaps not on a Tuesday morning after breakfast but <laughs> would... Um, I think you, you, you sort of have to test the waters, don't you? Because it's i mean it's such a difficult um subject it really really is and although you know you might have crystallized your own ideas and might be feeling okay about it you have to kind of think well okay so how are these other people thinking about it as well and where where are they and a good test is always just asking asking a question and just you know asking something like you know are you are you you up for you know having a chat about about this i'm just interested to get your thoughts on it and um Perhaps use curiosity as, as a tool rather than um, going in and uh, kind of expressing how, how you feel about it. And I think there are also going to be people that um, will avoid the subject, you know, like, like the plague. And that's, that's sort of their responsibility and as much as we might see that people need to open up or have a breakdown around it to let the emotions out, we can never push anybody into to doing that because some people will push back hard, and um, that's okay. I mean, that's 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 how they that's how they feel about it. Um, and I think in those situations, if I ever encountered that, I would probably just say, "Well, I'm here if you need." If you need to talk about it, um, because some people will be so afraid of the subject that they will be frozen and not not be able to express anything about it, and which is which, which is really sad because what they're doing then is <clears throat> letting their death dictate their life in a negative way, and it. It doesn't have to. And, you know, fear fear is actually a very useful emotion to have, right? It keeps us alive a lot of the times. And I don't think, you know, there are like Instagram memes and motivational things about beating fear. I don't think you can beat fear. And I think that's okay. I think you can use courage to do what you need to do in spite of it, to exist with it and move with it. Um, and then you get, sort of get used to it and it just naturally dissipates um, so you don't need to have a fight with it or beat it it's it's something softer than that
0: and that really resonates for me with this work um, and I've been reflecting one of the big drivers for me is um, my relationship with my grandmother who is 95 um, an amazing Italian woman um still living at home by herself but she had a fall last year and went into hospital. And I'm very, very afraid of what will happen to me when she passes. Um, and there's a lot of fear and emotions around that. And I was talking to a mutual friend of ours, Eric, and he's like, what if she lives for another 10 years, Sam? You can't hold on to that and avoid this discussion because of what's going to happen. You know, this is something that you need to gently, compassionately explore rather than putting off until until it's the right time. But I don't think, as you say, you can beat fear over the head and, and vanish it.
1: No, you can't. And I think, well, that's what courage is, isn't it? The definition of courage is taking action in the face of what you're afraid of the thing that's scaring you that's that's what courage is um and it's it's the answer to to this seneca like the, the 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 stoic philosopher he talked about negative visualization and he said that if you um contemplate the bad things happening you take um the sting out of that thing happening you know when it when it does and i think that this is it's that that negative visual, visualization is actually a really good um, tool to to potentially use around coming to terms with the fact that you know people very important to us are going to uh, are going to die, and we can't stop it. Um, so that's that's one thing that we can that we can do, and another thing is. I mean, it's sort of again flipping the, flame, uh, the, the, flipping the frame around. it's being there for them, and making sure that as best as you can organically and genuinely do it, make them feel good about themselves and about their lives, you know, if they're, if they're, if they're at end of life and if they're struggling, talk to them and help them see the value that they've actually given throughout their their life because I think we all want to feel of use, don't we? We want to feel that we've mattered, right? And we all have, but just in different ways. And the thing is, we don't always see it ourselves. So if you can be that beacon of light for somebody that needs it, then you're doing an amazing thing for that, for that person. Yes, you're, lo- you're going to lose them, yes. And it'll be tremendously difficult and heartbreaking. But knowing that you've comforted them and been there for them at the same time of feeling that gratitude because you're bringing those things up, I think that's a, um, a pretty good approach for, for dealing with that.
0: And you've spoken about journaling, and I know you're a very reflective human it took me a really long time to be honest with myself on the page and to see the story that was going on in my head written on paper was quite a a challenging thing what advice or, or tips would you give for people who were wanting to explore this in a safe space so not with another person perhaps but on their own to get started on that do you work with questions or themes or how does it work for you?
1: So it works in one of a couple of ways for me. I have um, a notebook. It's this notebook, actually. <laughs> I have a notebook, and I will steal away either in the morning or whenever I get the chance to make sure that I'm not going to be disturbed, or in a coffee shop where it's you know anonymous. And I use one side of paper. That's my constraint don't really put a time constraint on it it's more of a space constraint and I just start to literally just start to write and if I can't start I just ask the question how am I? that's it and I just promise myself that whatever I write is without judgement it's never going to be seen by anybody else it's literally all mine it's all for me and it's just for the purpose of getting things out of you know the swirling um (laughs) the swirling chaos of our minds um and it helps to add it helps to order things and you can actually see um when they're down on paper you sort of separate yourself from them you kind of take the emotion out of things and you say okay well ah okay so that was inside of me that's why i've been That's why I've been feeling this, because of these thoughts that I've now got out of me. And I can see, actually, they're really irrational. Or, yeah, I can see, actually, I need to have a conversation with somebody about this. Um, And it's really therapeutic. um, But I think the keys are set set a constraint, either five minutes or a side of A4. Um, Write without any kind of... Don't think whilst you're writing. Just let it come out. You don't need to think at all. And if you're struggling to get started, just ask the question, how am I...
0: It's such a powerful
1: question. It's just very open-ended. And I think that helps people to, or it helps me at least, to just dig around and explore. It often starts with feeling tired. (laughs) But, you know, but then I'll I'll just like do a body scan. But, you know, feeling tense. Maybe I'm feeling tense because... And just... Just don't overthink it. You're not writing for anybody else. It's um, it's just literally to get these uh, emotions uh, and thoughts out of you.
0: Yeah. And I'm struck as we're we're speaking, every day when we interact with people, how are you, how are you going, you know? But it's so rare that we ask ourselves that on a regular basis.
1: Well, it's rare that anyone asks it and actually means it. <laughs> because it's it's the biggest crock of shit, basically, going. How are you? And the, the, the standard response is, fine, thanks, how are you? And, yeah, it's just bollocks. It's just not true, you know, because if someone actually asked and answered that, you know, truthfully, you'd be there all day, or at least, you know, for a large portion of time talking about things. And, you know, we'd actually, that moment of sonder would... um which is where you understand, you know, with uh, a lot of depth, you understand that everybody, ha- everyone's lives are as rich and complex uh, and probably as painful as 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 anybody else's, especially yours. Um, so, yeah, it's an important question. It's one that we hear too often and don't answer enough. So wise, so,
0: so wise. Who talks about dying and death well?
1: Um, the Stoic philosophers um psychologists uh, my brother probably um anybody that is reflective some of the time that um has courage to to think about these things Um, And then it's honest enough to to share them.
0: Can we talk a little about the Stoic philosophers? Because I know this is a passion of yours. Mm -hmm. If someone's never heard of a Stoic philosopher, what are they, who are they, and what do they believe?
1: Yeah, so the big three, I suppose, are Marcus Aurelius, Seneca, and Epictetus. Um, And Stoic philosophy isn't about no emotion, which people might um, think because the word's been misappropriated. That you, or that person is very stoic. They think they're not giving much emotion away. It's it's actually um, about taking joy from. It is about taking a lot of joy from from life. It's um, about the domestication of emotions, I would say, um, and not overindulging in emotions. Even like grief. Do you know what I mean? Not even something like that. Um so, yeah, the Stoics were all about living the good life through uh, practicing uh, this, uh, this approach to life, which is to um, domesticate your emotions and control what you can control, recognize, it's a bit like the serenity prayer, which I think it's, I think it's where the serenity prayer might have come from, um, knowing what you can control, being absolutely okay, with the things that you can't control and living a good life you know people get depressed at the weather right what's the point in being stressed out when it's raining because there is just nothing you, you, what you're doing then a stoic philosopher would say you're giving your power to an outside entity when it's yours you know you could be doing anything with that um so that's that in a, in a nutshell And i might have butchered it a little bit but generally <laughs> that's stoic philosophy
0: why do they talk about dying in death well
1: Well, first of all, because they've accepted that it's going to happen. They can do so by minimising the amount of emotion around the subject as well. They um, will spend time reflecting on it because of that negative uh, visualisation technique that I mentioned earlier that Seneca spoke about. Um, So there's, there's a lot of tools, practical tools that they would, they would use um, around the subject of, of death that they would apply to other parts of life as well but it just means that someone that practices the practice of Stoic philosophy is just very well equipped to deal with um, highly emotive subjects and situations mm. because you can sort of detach see the situation for what it is and then give it what it needs
0: if you could change one thing about how we talk about dying and death as a society, what would it be?
1: I think if I could change one thing about it, it would be to move that frame of thinking um, about ourselves first and foremost. You know, in relation to our own death, like I don't want to die, and I am scared about my, you know, my death and me dying. To change all that. And to flip it around Like I said earlier And to um, Okay so I'm going to be going <laughs> I'm leaving I don't like it But it's the truth How are the How are everyone else Going to be without me um, Have I given everything That I can possibly give To make sure that they can They can thrive You know And they'll be um, They'll be good You know eventually Um So, it, it's it's the same, like, a lot of issues that we have in life are from, like, self-centeredness. And even at times, like, in the past when I've struggled with depression, when I've got perspective on it, and a lot of time through journaling, I've noticed that it's all been about me. I'm feeling like this. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. You know, it everything's focused around I. And as soon as you start to move that focus onto the people around you, the people that you love and that love you, it doesn't necessarily get rid of the problem, but it certainly lightens it and gives you a bit of breathing space. So I think it's it's that dynamic of um, stop, you know, or at least minimising or optimising rather the time spent on I, And um, really putting a lot of love and generosity into uh, the people around you.
0: What I'm so struck with is this is a different approach to more perhaps the paper preparation of your wills and power of attorney, which often we think getting ready for death and dying means getting your affairs in order.
1: Right. Right. And sure, I'm you know, I'm pretty sure that um, you know, when people are thinking about, you know, your death as a as your last act of giving, they might think, Oh, if they saw the headline of that or, you know, the soundbite talking about money and wills and stuff like that. And well, while that's that's a necessary part of it, obviously you do have to get those things. It's just that's scratching the surface and there's actually really valuable things that will go missed if you don't hold that frame. If you're thinking about yourself too much, if you're caught up in death anxiety, um, if your focus is on yourself, um, flip it around and just see how it feels.
0: Very powerful. Um, as we've been speaking today, are there things that have come up in our conversation that you haven't been reflecting on or topics that you'd like to explore before we close?
1: Well, there's sort of two sides to death, right? There's the side we've talked most about, which is our own death, which is actually quite self-centered thing after what I just said. But then there's also dealing with the loss of somebody, right? So there's there's that. And it's the same end, it's just as final, but we come at it from different perspectives. So there are different dynamics going on. So how do we deal with um, people that we love that we might be losing or um we might have lost um and there's there's no easy way around it but there's no like cure for for grief i mean it's a natural part when you when you love somebody and they pass away it will be painful it it really really would be um the stoics would say that death is an opportunity to practice fortitude um so whilst yes you you might be hurting there are people that need looking after and that need you as well um, and then also to practice gratitude as well and to um, in fact the start of meditations which is Marcus Aurelius's diary basically that was actually only published after he died he didn't write it to be published the first part of his book um, they're all entries um, listing what he learned from people around him his family and stuff like that so they're, when we when we lose somebody what have we gained from them, you know, like what what's outliving their body? What's what have they given to us that's um truly, truly valuable that we can hold on for as long as we live? And then in that in that sense a part of them will live on like with us. We've not actually lost them. We've lost lost the flesh and the blood but the things that they've given to us um, you know that's we're living life goes at 100 miles an hour, we don't always remember, we don't always notice so it's an opportunity to notice, it's an opportunity to reflect to be grateful and take a piece of their wisdom, their knowledge, their spirit forward